Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hebrews chapter 1, if you turn there, we'll pick up in verse 4, and we'll actually finish the first chapter of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews opens up with something that would be super important to the Jewish mindset, and that would be the role of angels. Where do angels fit in our theology? How is it that angels work in our world? And I want to remind you that we meet angels very early on in the book of Genesis, Amen. Adam and Eve kind of mess up. Remember, there's two trees in the garden. There's one of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life as well. And so they eat of the first one, so now they know the difference between right and wrong. What does God do? He actually sends a cherubim, a a flaming one, a holy angel, to guard the other tree. So angels have been around a long time. Where do they fit? Should we be worshiping them? Are Jesus and angels the same? There are a lot of questions that rise up in our minds when we think about them. I know people that, quite frankly, almost worship angels. And they'll tell you, well, I've got a guardian angel for this and a guardian angel for that. And while it might be true, you may have some angels guarding you. Um, Where where do they fit? How should we relate to them uh, in our world that we walk in? So would you join me? We'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 4. And Jesus and angels. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that as we read this incredible account of how you, Jesus, compare to angels, what it is that makes you different from them, would you help us to understand? And Lord, always cause us to give honor where honor is due and worship where worship is due, and never allow us, Lord to worship anyone else save you, Jesus. And so, God, we thank you for your word and pray that you'd speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. The writer of Hebrews begins this way, Having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. This singular verse causes so many problems for so many people because they think that the word become Uh, indicates that Jesus actually had to become something. And that's not what the original language is saying. The word is simply indicating that from the position of God's work in this world, when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, was buried in the grave, and raised three days later, at that point in time, from a human perspective, to us, he became Savior to those who would believe. He was always God. He's never less than God. So in that sense, he didn't become as we would think become, like he was something else, and now he becomes something new. From a human perspective, we did not see the divinity of Jesus as Savior until the resurrection. And so this particular passage helps us understand exactly what God wants us to know about the relationship between other heavenly beings, specifically angels, which most people are very familiar with, 
We have several of them named in Scripture, and one of them's not real good. His name is Lucifer. Amen? Lucifer was actually an angel. He was an exalted cherubim until he fell. And so angels apparently, as far as Scripture dictates to us, not only are created beings, but they also have the ability to choose, just like human beings. And in fact, the Bible records that when Satan fell, one-third of the host of heaven fell with him. And so they can make decisions, good and bad. And so here we go on this march through the remainder of this passage to help us understand the place of angels in relationship to Jesus, our Savior. They're equated to flames of fire, the wind. There's all kinds of things that are said about angels as they work in this world. But when you look at the totality of what God says, he actually speaks to this issue so that we will understand they are nothing like Jesus, our Savior. They're a completely different type of eternal being. They're they're not only not the same, they are so far inferior that Jesus is the uncreated creator and they are part of the creation. They are created beings. Jesus is the one who created them as well. And so let's see what the Bible has to say to us. And before we do that, remember some of the things that Jesus has done for you. That angels cannot, will not, and could never do. The Bible reminds us that Jesus took away your sin. The Bible reminds us that it is he who forgave your sin. That he paid the penalty for your sin. That he removed sin's power. All of these things we're going to see in this amazing book of Hebrews. That he offered himself in your place as a sacrifice for your sin. He is actually the forgiver of those same sins. And so in that sense, when you read the book of Hebrews, and as we'll see angels periodically sprinkled into this book, remember angels can't do any of those things. They are incapable of dealing with your sin in any way, shape, or form. They do have power, though, and they're actually sent by God to give you help. Just as God sent some angels to help Jesus occasionally, to help Abraham occasionally. We see this role throughout the Bible. And so let's put them in their proper perspective today. These affirmations that we see here, actually in the remainder of this passage, are Old Testament quotations. And there are actually seven of them. And so as we look at the rest of this chapter, you're going to see a quotation from Psalm 2, from 2 Samuel 7. And again, remind yourself, you can download, if you want to get these as notes, they're available to you for free, you can just download them. Go to the website and search our media library, there it is in the sermon section. So Deuteronomy chapter 32, Psalm 104, Psalm 45, 102, and 110. And so why do you think God would use Old Testament passages if he's talking, writing a letter through the author of the book of Hebrews to Hebrews? They revered the Old Testament. And so anything that the Old Testament would have to say about the Messiah would be very important to a Jewish person. It would also be very important to someone 
like us who are God's children by grace that have been saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ because you could be tempted to rely on religion or maybe you might even desire to go back to potentially, um, say, take up the law yourself. Maybe you're one of those people that really enjoys having rigidity and structure in your life and you would like to have the law as a backdrop And so maybe you might make the law into something that really isn't beneficial for you. You might, in essence, go back into bondage to the law after being set free. So God gives us this picture of the Old Testament, what it said about angelic beings and how they relate to Christ uh, so that we could understand who they are. And so it begins there actually in verse 4, having become so much better than the angels... He has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. What do you think that name is? Anybody want to guess? It's on the slide, so you can read it. It's son. How many sons does God have? So if he alone is called God's own son, and angels are just simply angels, what do you think the more excellent name is? It's his son. You see, angels periodically were called the sons of God because they were born of God in that sense, just like certain men were called also the sons of God because they also have been created in his image. But there's only one person ever in the entirety of the human, of human history that's been called God's one and only son, and that's Jesus. So angels, though heavenly, they actually function in heaven. They're part of the worship team in heaven. They're more than likely part of the band in heaven. But they're not God's son. They're not the preeminent one. They're not the one of one. For to which of the angels did he ever say, and here it is, you are my son, singular. Not one of my many sons, not something like a son, but literally my one and only son. For today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me my son. And this is so important for our understanding of the triunity of God. Because God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are not the same person in that sense. They are unique in their roles of the Godhead, but they are all nonetheless fully God. And so here we have one of those places where you can refer to your Bible and go, well, how can God the Father and God the Son be different people and not God? And yet at the same time, it's speaking of two different people and both are God. And so we, we have to look at Scripture when we want to know what God says about any facet of how he relates to us. And this is one of those very important ones. So he begins this first quotation of the seven. Today you are my son, and this day I have begotten you. Paul pinpoints this very thing when he writes to the church as the book of Acts is crafted by Dr. Luke. And in fact, referring to Paul, it says there that Jesus Christ was God's son, that he humbled himself ultimately in Philippians chapter 2 and became a man. 
Jesus was always God, but from, again, our perspective, when Jesus came to the earth, he became Jesus, amen? Jesus is his name. You remember what it means? God is salvation. So when Jesus comes to the earth in the form of a man, he becomes something that he was not in past, in in eternity, He became Savior. He became the one that would redeem us. In that sense, we recognize him as such, even though he had the capacity, even though he had the knowledge, even though he possessed everything he would ever need to possess to go to the cross and give his life. And in a sense, because God can't be taught anything, he certainly saw that as being complete, but Jesus actually did it when he came to the earth. So in that sense he became or was begotten as the Son of God. Remember what the prophet Isaiah said about the coming uh, of the the Savior, that he would be the child who was born and the son who was given. So as Jesus is born in human flesh, he became Emmanuel, God with us. Until that point in time, he was actually God in heaven. He was part of the triune Godhead. And so this is just simply pinpointing this period of time when Jesus actually shows himself as our Savior and gives us the capacity to believe on him and shows us that he actually paid the price by dying on the cross and being raised three days later. So from that perspective, a human being would look at it, in that moment, Jesus became Savior. So he's been begotten to that end. Notice it says, to which of the angels did God ever say these things? You are my son. And the answer is none. Not one of them. Not to Michael, not to Gabriel, not to Lucifer. And again, this is very, very, very important. You you see, what God's trying to say to us is there's something infinitely greater about Jesus Christ, his son, than there is about any angel, no matter how great that angel is. We know of a handful of angels in scriptures, and quite frankly, angels are spoken of in a a very, very light way throughout the Bible. They're kind of sprinkled in to let us know that there's an army in heaven, and that they're there to do, in essence, the bidding of God, and primarily to work on your behalf. So there is some truth to what the Bible says in that sense about you having some angels that may be watching over you. That's clear. The Bible says that. That as you're driving down the freeway here in L.A., no doubt there's angels all around you. It's the only reason that you get from point A to point B. It's like there's angelic beings. I have a little thing on my, in my office that says, never drive faster than your angels can fly. <laughs> so it's true. If you have young male children, you have angels around your house. Otherwise, your house would have already been burnt to the ground and there would be appendages missing. Because boys, give them a knife, give them something that makes fire. It's a fun day for boys. It's also dangerous. I think that there are angels that get assigned to us. and I think they're hovering around just like, eh, let's kind of watch that. Let's temper that a little bit. So angels are real, but they can't save you. It's an impossibility. The more excellent name is the name of the Son of God. In that very moment, Jesus is revealed 
as that firstborn son. Notice what it goes on to say, verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let the angels of God, here it is, worship him. The angels worship Jesus. Some of them, unfortunately, have given their allegiance to the devil. But the angels who are holy worship Jesus. When they see Jesus, they call him Lord. So there is this huge difference. And so the author of the book of Hebrews explains this using Old Testament imagery. And notice he uses this term, firstborn, which is used, by the way, uh, the exact same word uh, is used in the book of Colossians, where the firstborn is referred to as the creator of the world. And it's a Greek word, it's a very unique one, it's prototokos. And what it simply means is preeminent one, or the first of a kind. In other words, it's the highest of rank and order. So of all of the sons that could be potentially born, because you're a son or a daughter in the Lord, amen? So in that sense, you also are God's kids, but guess who's above all of the kids? Jesus, the Savior, who made all of us able to be the sons of God. So in that sense, he's the preeminent one. He's the firstborn. He made it possible for the rest of us to actually be his kids. And sometimes I, I think we, we almost treat Jesus, you know, kind of like he's, he's kind of in this class of heavenly beings and they're kind of all the same. No, he is absolutely above all other beings that we relate to. He is God incarnate in human flesh. He's not just an exalted angel. He isn't just like a heavenly being that's less than God, but more than angels. He is creator God. He's the firstborn of all of creation. You actually see this term used in relationship to, to Solomon. And remember, Solomon is called the firstborn. He's actually not the firstborn. He's the tenthborn. But Solomon was the greatest of the sons. And so it's used in that same way. In that same way, Jesus is greater than absolutely everyone and everything that's ever walked on this planet. He's worthy of our worship in that sense. That's why the angels worship him. You know, sometimes I, I happen to get into that place sometimes where I'm just like, uh, we were worshiping and I'm just, I'm thinking of all of the good things that God has done for me in my entire life. And I just started rolling through them. Not one angel is responsible for those things. Those things were all the work of God. Jesus did those things. The angels may have come along and helped Jesus in his bidding, but Jesus is responsible for that goodness because he's God. In other words, the angels work for the Lord. Remember Jesus, actually, when he was talking to Peter, Peter lops off Malchus's ear. You remember what Jesus said? He said, do you not know that if I wanted to, I could call ten legions of angels? If I wanted to have some help, I could get it, and I could get it right now. So in that sense, angels are, are working for the Lord, and he assigns them to help you. It's a beautiful picture of how God kind of takes care of us. Sometimes you wonder how you get through things, right? I do. You know, there are, there are days, I, it's like, man, there must have been some extra help here. 
And I think it's just the Lord just sending some extra angels to kind of walk alongside and push you one way or the other way or to maybe prevent something from happening. I had a, I had a crazy thing. We were, we were actually at the camp in Green Valley Lake and Pastor Chuck was supposed to come up and speak. And um, let's just say Pastor Chuck was well known for not driving the speed limit. Um, he just was. He, I mean... He could have been a NASCAR driver, but he, you know he 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 had this '56 Fairlane that had been completely redone and you know turquoise the whole thing and just beautiful car, um, but it was a 1956 and the road up the mountain's kind of windy, and and he came up to speak and he was he like rolled into the camp with like four minutes before he was supposed to be speaking to the kids, and he gets there and. Two minutes after he's got some meeting back down in Costa Mesa, he gets back to the church, pulls into the parking lot, and his front wheel falls off. Literally falls off. The last lug nut, poink! Now, I don't know how many of you have driven up to the mountain, but I'm kind of thinking somebody was holding that wheel on going up and down the mountain. And he got back to the parking lot, and it's like, oh, that's not good. I personally think some angels were kind of like flying alongside holding it on. Or I don't know. But I know there's no natural explanation for it. There was one lug nut left. Angels are there for your bidding. Not that you get to command them, but the Lord commands them for you. To take care of you. In that sense, God brings them as the firstborn of the world. And as they they worship the Lord himself, this gives you a sense that Jesus is greater than the angels. If the angels worship Jesus, who's the greater of the two? The one who is worshipped is always greater than the ones who worship. You understand? So you, you can never worship anything that is less than you. You can, but it's absolutely senseless. Because if you're greater than what you worship, then you might as well flip and be God yourself, which is unfortunately what a lot of people try and do in this world. But Jesus is greater than the angels. He's the one true God. He's a transcendent one. And in fact, the Bible actually says it's heretical for us to worship angels. We should not do it. And you can see that in Colossians 2, there in Revelation 19 as well. And so when you think about the role of angels in your life, think about them as helpers, messengers. Now, the Old Testament prophets sometimes actually got instruction from them. It's like God sent them with a message to speak to the prophets. And so the prophets received something from an angel that was from God. They, they can be used in that way, or at least were in the Old Testament. And so the, the Old Testament here actually kind of decries what, unfortunately, a couple of cults believe uh, still to this day. And that is that Jesus is somehow less than God and that he is not God himself. And, and both Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. In fact, the reason that we know Mormons very specifically have a major problem is they say that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. So if Lucifer is an angel, that makes Jesus also an angel, doesn't it? 
That also makes him a created being. He thereby cannot die for your sins. And if he's the one that supposedly went to the cross for you and is just an angel, then you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. So there's a huge difference between the Jesus of Mormonism and the Jesus of biblical Christianity that believes the Bible is true. So don't be fooled by that. Jesus is one of a kind. He is not an angel. He's not a glorified, he's not a glorified man. He's not an ideal. Jesus is God's only son and God himself. That's the truth. Jehovah's Witnesses actually believe he's not God at all. And in fact, they have their own version of the Bible that takes John 1.1 and says that Jesus is a God. No, he's not a God. He is the God. Very, very, very simple one-word translational change. So if you have a new century version, throw it away. Put it in the dumpster. Get rid of it. Get yourself a modern translation like the New King James, New Living, New American Standard, something that's actually accurate. Jesus is God. Don't forget that. It was God that died on Calvary's cross for you. It was not an angelic or heavenly being. It was not some other form of a heavenly being. Notice verse 7. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits and ministers of a flame of fire? And this reverts back to the book of Genesis, doesn't it? The book of Genesis actually declares this for us. You can see it in in chapter 3, where God sets a cherubim at the at the tree of life, and says, no, I'm not going to let them live forever. They already know right and wrong. That's bad enough. And so there they are, doing the bidding of the Lord. Verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God. Notice who he's speaking to. To the Son, singular. The Son, he says, to your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who's he speaking to? The Son. The writer of Hebrews calls the Son of God, God. And your throne is eternal forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. For you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, and therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. There are other beings in heaven. They're angels. So the companions that Jesus has in heaven, along with the saints, now that have gone on to be with the Lord, Jesus is greater than all of them. And so he paints this picture of just the greatness of Jesus. And in fact, we're going to study as we go through this book that Jesus is not just, not just declared as God, but he's also the high priest of heaven. He's the king of heaven. He's the prophet of prophets. He's greater than Moses. And we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. There's just this incredible picture of how much greater Jesus is than everyone and everything. When we think of who Jesus is, we can't help but worship him. I don't worship the messenger. You know, here, let me put it to you this way. Let's just say, for instance, now, I'm not suggesting you should go play the lottery, but let's, let's say, for instance, you won the lottery, and a messenger comes to your house and with the news that you've won the lottery. Are you going to worship the messenger, or are you going to worship the fact that you won the lottery? 
you're going to worship the fact that you won the lottery, right? You're not, the messenger is nothing. You're just bringing the message. That was a bad example. Scratch that example. <laughs> just want to see if you guys are thinking. But you know what I'm saying. You're not going to worship the messenger. The Amazon guy drives up, oh, holy Amazon driver. No, you want the stuff that the Amazon driver brought you. You actually decided that you wanted that thing from Amazon, and so you ordered it. You don't worship the messenger. You don't, bring the one, you don't worship the one who bears witness to it. You worship the one who made it into what it actually is. That's Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no salvation. Without Jesus, there's no forgiveness. Without Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Amen? Don't confuse that. Because if you start worshiping other things, like angels or church or pastors, we live in a world where sometimes pastors become a stand-in for Jesus. That is a really bad thing. Look, these pants go on one leg at a time. The only holiness in me is his. What I am, I am by the will of God. Hopefully I represent the king and don't mess his word up. It's his word, it's not my word. And so in that sense, Jesus is greater than everyone. And so he's called here also the eternal creator. Notice verse 10. And you, Lord... In the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Angels didn't do that. Angels had nothing to do with creation. That was all Jesus. He's the creator. Matter of fact, they were created. They came into the creation. We're not sure when they were created. Likely they were, they were preexistent in heaven, that God created them at some point in the distant past. But as far as the heavens and the earth, Jesus created them. The heavens are the work of your hands. Again, this is quoting from the Psalms, specifically Psalm 102. This is the sixth of these Old Testament quotes. They will perish. Check this out. The earth and everything on it has an expiration date. That's why it's so pointless to worship the earth. That's why if you're one of those people that thinks there's a mother earth goddess or somehow, you know, we need to worship the dirt or worship trees or trout or, which I worship trout sometimes. I have to pray. No, it's, it's like, isn't it crazy how we can get our eyes off of the creator and onto the creation and before you know, it's like, oh, it's foolishness. This earth has a date stamp on it. It is one day going to be rolled up like a scroll, and it's going to disappear, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Notice what it says. They will perish, but you remain. And they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You'll fold them up, and they'll be taken to the thrift store. They'll be changed. They're they're going to be gotten rid of. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. This is painting this picture of Jesus as the eternal creator. 
You know, no matter how much you take care of yourself, I read an article a couple of weeks ago that, you know, some scientists have gotten together and they think that we could live potentially indefinitely if we just had the right diet and all those kind of things. Forget it. Not interested. Because that means I'm going to live on to when the earth gets folded up like a scroll and done away with. I'm not happy about that. I want to be part of that new creation when the Lord brings us back to inhabit the earth as he sees fit. This one that we live in cannot actually be saved. Now, let me be really clear here. In Jesus' name, if you've got solar panels, praise God. It helps get carbon emissions down, okay? But you're not going to save this planet. It's an impossibility. Why? Because the Bible says it's not going to last forever. So don't focus on the creation. Focus on the creator. If you're right with the creator, then you'll be a great steward of the things that God's given you. You will care. You're not going to throw your trash out your window when you're driving down the freeway. Why? Because you've been given stewardship of this planet. It's the only one we've got to live on. But make no mistake, it's not going to be the last place you live as a believer. This is like your apartment, and one day you're going to have a heavenly home. And so make sure that you have that distinction. There is a world that's coming that's not like this world. And so Jesus here is painted in that light. It's like this world is going to grow old like a garment. You all know what we're saying. It's like, isn't it weird? You can actually go to Amazon and buy pre-wrecked jeans now. It's like the stuff that, look, I'm old enough. Remember when parents actually used to sew patches on your clothes? Hallelujah. Okay, don't do that anymore. You actually take a knife and you cut them into, so that there's nothing left of them. They're falling off of your legs and that's like 500 bucks. It's like, this is nuts. It's like we have lost our collective minds. Stuff that was trash, now we cherish. It's like we are so jacked up in our thinking. That's why God's going to remake this earth, because we are like way out there now. This world isn't the world that's going to be. This is the world that we live in now. It was made for a time, as wonderful as it is. You know, I'm old enough to have remembered backpacking through the high Sierras when we didn't have smog. When you look out, it's like, man, I can see all the way into Nevada. Now you can barely see across the Owens Valley. It's not going to last forever. Just like a piece of clothing is going to grow old and it'll need to be changed, replaced. We'll see this in chapter 12 and we certainly see that in Revelation chapter 21. It's not permanent. It's not indestructible. Don't put your hope and trust in something that's going to be destroyed. That's why if you start hoping and trusting in the things of this life, if your hope and trust is in your house or your finances or whatever, your hope and trust is misplaced. And that's where this book is going to go. You want your hope anchored in heaven. You do not want your hope anchored to this earth. You don't want it anchored to a peace treaty. You don't want it anchored to things that we can do as a society. You want it anchored to something that never changes. His name is Jesus. 
In that way, Jesus is greater than every angel, all the angels, the sum and total of everything angels could ever do. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, here it comes, sit at my right hand. Sit. The angels in heaven stand. Jesus alone sits at the right hand of God the Father. Check out what it also says. Till I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus, this is kind of a picture of, and I never truly appreciated, you know, the barca lounger thing. You know, when, when you go to your grandparents' house and they have the chair and it kind of rocks and has the extending foot rest and the whole thing, you're kind of like, wow, that's really for old people. And then I realized I am an old person, and that's exactly what I now want. It's like, give me one that lifts up, you know, I'm going to get my feet up. I'm going to get my feet up in the air. Like, while we're at it, those are up. Could somebody please rub those things? But when you think about it, think about what is happening here. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and his feet are up. Who's the footrest? His enemies. Jesus isn't stressing out in heaven. He doesn't go, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. I'm not sure, you know. It's like, wow, have you seen what's going on in China? Do you look at the United States, what they're going through? I don't know what to do. Jesus is relaxed in heaven, and ultimately his enemies will be his footstool. Amen? He knows. Why is that important to us? Because the angels are still busy working. Jesus is sitting with Father God interceding for you. God the Father, God the Son are having a conversation about you and how loved you are. The Lord's enemies are running around worrying about how they're going to live another day. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Think about it. Here's the huge difference. Jesus is God, sovereign creator. He's king, and angels just simply serve him. Angels worship Jesus. We worship Jesus. Jesus finished the work of salvation. He is seated right now. Resting in that finished work, going, man, Father, look at my kids. Look at my children. The angels are just like they were in Genesis 28. They're going up and down the ladder. They're busy trying to take care of Jacob. They're they're running after Jacob and his family, trying to take care of them, you know, setting up God's camp. Jesus is just resting. Can't wait to get you home. Kind of picture it like a living room. Jesus is sitting in the living room waiting for you to get there. The fire's burning. The cocoa's on. God the Father and Christ the Son can't wait to see you. Can't wait until you get home. The angels are in the kitchen. They're cooking. (laughs) They're making sure your bed's made in your mansion. 
Uh, we don't know exactly what they're doing, but they're working. Jesus is resting. Now, remember who you are. You're not just going to be an angel. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're going to pull up in the living room and grab another Barca lounger and sit down. <laughs> You're going to hang out with God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're going to be in his presence forevermore where there is fullness of joy. In other words, you got a lot sweeter deal than the angels. So don't worship them. Be thankful for them. Bless God for them when they've prevented you from hitting that car in front of you because you now have that eyesight thing that automatically puts on the brakes when you're a little too close to the car in front of you. When, when you have that medical condition that somehow the doctors don't know exactly how you survived it, but you did, could very well have been some angels just giving them a little extra information that was needed for your care. But don't confuse an angel with Jesus because there's only one of him. Amen? Amen. We just stand and we'll close in prayer. If you need prayer after service or if you have yet to meet Jesus, you don't know him as your Savior, as your Lord, I encourage you right after service to simply go to the prayer room and say, I'd love to know Jesus. I want to know the, the one of one. We are blessed, church, to be able to be together and to serve the King and to love one another as he has loved us. So let's, let's thank him for that privilege. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world greater than all of the angels to make possible our salvation where we can be adopted into your family with full rights and privileges as your children, your sons and your daughters. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. Father, thanks for sending angels to keep us out of those traffic accidents or to work in our health or, Lord, help us find that job, maybe stirring somebody to go someplace that they weren't thinking of. Lord, we don't want to diminish your heavenly hosts that are helpers, but we worship you, King Jesus, forever and ever and ever. Thanks for accepting us into the Beloved because of the work that you did on the cross. We love you, we praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.